It's been 15 years since Lieutenant Bill Kinderman witnessed the death of his best friend, Father Damien Karras, at the hands of something supernatural and evil. In that time, Kinderman has stopped a vicious serial killer called the Gemini, who was executed for his crimes. But now it appears that the Gemini has returned as a demonic spirit, and he's chosen the body of Father Karras as his vessel. Kinderman must rediscover his faith if he is to save his friend's soul, stop a murderer, and defeat the demon Pazuzu once and for all in the true sequel to the 1973 classic, 1990's The Exorcist III. I'm Connor Izagari. And I'm Austin Johnson. And you are listening to Filmgasm. Happy Wednesday, horror fans. This is the Filmgasm Podcast, and this is episode 103. If you're listening to this on Anchor, Overcast, Breaker, Radio Public, or Google Podcast, welcome to the club. We're happy to have you. If you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, or Spotify, welcome back, and thanks for sticking with us. Got a good one for you today. One of the best horror sequels ever made, in my opinion. A true underrated gem, if there ever was one. I'd forgotten how exciting and tense this movie is. Yes, indeed. Uh, and you say sequel, uh, you know, we covered The Exorcist 2 and absolutely despise almost every second of it. Yeah. Uh, obviously, that 1973 one is a special one for, for horror fans. It kind of stands alone uh, within that, or not stands alone, it stands with a bunch of other films in the 70s that are, kind of looked at as these, you know, titans of horror. And I I certainly love it. But with that said, this third one is, you know, close to rivaling the first one. It is probably on paper um, a little more frightening, a little more just uh, textbook scary. Um, You know, the finale is really, really wild. And I, I totally forgot about just, just how, how insane, you know, the, the, those scissors. <laughs> oh, my God. I, f- I forgot how insane all this stuff is, and we're going to get into that, of course. But I, I just want to, you know, want to say that I, as big of a fan as I am of The Exorcist of 1973, this, this movie really rivals it. It really does its best to be different, to be out there, uh, and just as frightening uh, in a different way. And I, I, I love that. So much respect for this one. It really does, you know, I mean, it's not like the bar was set very high for a sequel to The Exorcist. They didn't need to try very hard, but I feel like William Peter Blatty really wanted to, you know, kind of avenge the second one. Like, make it, you know, like, I'm sorry that happened. Here's a a better movie. (laughs) It's what it felt like to me. Oh, 100%. And, you know, that's really cool that we can say that. uh, If you've been with us, thank you for coming back and We've been on this journey of the Exorcist, you know, for a while now. And this is the third episode covering this, you know, this franchise, this world. Yeah. And uh, yeah, the second one is most certainly the worst. It is so bad. Not even really worth your time sort of thing. That was, that was one of the episodes that Connor and I remember because of how bad the movie was. <laughs> and uh, we, we do a lot of episodes here. Like he said, you know, this is 103, Exorcist 3. I just, uh, some of them run together because of how many we do. <laughs> and the Exor- the Exorcist Two is one of those where it was like, oh yeah, that was that was really bad. Well, you know, the thing is, we don't even know if that's the worst one yet because we still have two prequels to watch. 
<laughs> oh, I know. No, no, no. Oh, we're, we're going to do plenty of movies that are going to be worse. And I think we've done a few shit shows, but that's, that's one of the worst. But in this universe, like we've, like we're not done. And we haven't even been choosing these ourselves. These have been picks from the book of filmgasm. So some mm-hmm. other force out there wants us to cover this franchise. Yeah. In order. Yeah. Fantastic. So before we get into that, um, let's do the rewind where we look into the past to see what's new. I got one update for you that updates our 20th episode on the Godfather trilogy. Okay. Starting in early 2021, the streaming service CBS All Access is going to be rebranding as Paramount Plus. As part of this rebrand, they are developing a new scripted series about the making of The Godfather, currently titled The Offer. It's a 10-episode limited series that will tell the story of the development of the classic film from the perspective of producer Al Ruddy. What do you think of this? Uh, you know, I, we, we talk a lot about these sorts of things, right? When we do the rewind, when, when we bring up episodes of the past and the idea of, you know, building on something or remaking something, rebooting. I, I feel like maybe I am personally a bit of a broken record because I just would like to see new, new stuff, new material. But in the right hands, <laughs> you know, it can be a good thing. Well, I'm excited. I'm glad they're not doing, you know, Vito Corleone as a young mob boss as a series or some shit like that. They're not doing a story yeah. about the development of one of the greatest American films ever made. So I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued. I'm excited. I'm That's, interested to see like what exactly went into making this movie happen. Cause I know a yes. lot went wrong at the beginning. They had trouble getting financing. Marlon Brando was a hectic person. So Francis, Francis Ford Coppola was the 12th director in line for their, exactly. for their choice. Yeah. So yeah, I think it'll be interesting, but I Paramount plus like, does, I don't, does, there's too many damn streaming services out there. And uh, I don't think that this is going to bring new people to CBS all access. I just, I don't know. Rebranding doesn't usually work. I don't think. It's tough, right? You know, you brought up, you know, the streaming services and that's, that's a conversation we could have every day, all day. Uh, We could make a list of all of them and, you know, popularity order and figure out which ones we have and which ones we have access to and what we can actually watch. And then you figure out how much you're missing out on because of the stuff you don't have. And you're like, Oh shit. Am I, do I need that? If I'm a movie fan? Yeah. If I'm a, if I'm a TV fan, you start feeling guilty. Like, I, I, you know, I haven't, I haven't seen Tenet yet. And, you know, am I not a, am I not a legit movie fan? Do I need to prove myself uh, <laughs> as a movie fan? And that, that's sometimes how it, how it feels with all of these services and all these different things that we have access to. It's like, well, if you don't have them all and, you know, then you can't have an opinion. So you're not, you're not a part of the conversation. And it's, it's weird. It almost, it's almost like a streaming service shaming. <laughs> <laughs> It's, yeah. it's, it's, it's really wild these days. And I, I love what I have, you know, very, very grateful for the stuff that we can just kind of watch at home. Uh, for example, Amazon prime, that's how we watched exercise three. That's, that's amazing. But it def- definitely does make you think when all these new ones come out, just kind of like as a connoisseur, as someone who wants to keep up with things, it's like, Oh shit. <laughs> <laughs> am I, am I supposed to have that? Do I need to have that? And, I just can't, can't keep Adam and on. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'll, I'm sure I'll, I don't know if I'll watch this, honestly. I just, uh, it sounds cool. But TV is so 
tough to manage these days with all the work we put into these podcasts. I just don't have time to commit to series anymore. I've let yeah. live TV shows go since we started this thing. Me too. Me too. I mean, just, um, you know, we talked about um, Hamlet from 1948 on our last Oscar Sunday episode. And we, we took it upon ourselves to watch all five best picture nominees from that year, from the 21st Academy Awards. And so, you know, there's five movies. We also had the Filmgasm movie to watch last week, which was host. There's six movies already, six movies in one week, not to mention all the stuff that you and I just kind of watch for fun stuff to keep up, to have reviews up. I mean, already that's a heavy, heavy, heavy amount of stuff to, you know, go through. So to add a series to that is just not really in, in the cards. <laughs> yeah. I don't, well, it, it needed to be said. It's uh, they're doing, you know, Godfather based television show. Yeah, and I'm sh- I'm sure we'll find a way to it someday, but but we probably won't be the people who get to have an opinion on it right away, and that that's okay. Yeah. So, uh, prior to this podcast, have had you seen The Exorcist three? Yes, about three four years ago, somewhere in there. You know, uh, it, I say that I feel like I say that all the time because it runs together, right? Three, four, five. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the pa- the past few years have definitely been a horror journey for me uh as i've kind of chosen to dive into it deeper and that's definitely partly because of this podcast you know and uh i'm very grateful for all the all those opportunities to to watch all these random horror movies and to revisit some right that's that's one of my favorite things to do is to rewatch a movie maybe i wasn't uh in the right place for in the right mood for in the right setting that sort of thing and i think that's what happened with exorcist 3 I was with some friends and I think I just wasn't totally locked in uh, and uh, I remember it being good. And then last night when I watched it, I, I was kind of, kind of flabbergasted. I, you know, had one of those moments towards the end with the finale, things are happening, bodies are flying and hit this hitting the ceiling. And I had one of those moments of, you know, where I just kind of smiled because I was like, this is, this is great horror. This, all right. This is kind of what we come for. This is kind of what we kind of seek out. And it's so cool to see out of a, a, a third film of a franchise, a, a sequel. So I was, I was very grateful that the book gave us this one and, and I could revisit it, rewatch it, reevaluate it. And safe to say, I, I really, really like this one. Yeah, me too. I had the same moment uh, that you, that you had. I was, it was when father morning, uh, arrives at the hospital to exercise mm-hmm. Gemini. I had this, yeah. I had this moment where I sat up and was like, fuck, this is good. <laughs> and I just yeah, got really yeah. gross. And I, I hadn't seen this movie since I was a kid. And uh, it, I remember it, it freaked me out at the time. And um, I hadn't seen it in you know, almost a decade. I actually saw this one years before I ever saw The Exorcist. And, uh, that's 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 so interesting to me. You know, I've seen The Exorcist uh, so, so many times, and you know, through my teenage years, through my high school years, and then a lot through my early early twenties. I'm 25 now, so I remember you know being 20, 21, and watching The Exorcist all the time. You know, and then finally being like, I need to see the other ones. You know, and I read that this one's really scary. I read that it may not be the most, you know, well put together film. I disagree. I think it's, I think it's awesome. 
Yeah. But I read that it's very scary. And it is. It is. It, it definitely has more going for it in the, you know, scare category than, than the first one does, than the original does. The original has these, like, kind of monumental moments Whereas this movie uh, it has this movie has images. Holy yes. fuck! <laughs> <laughs> this movie has a perfect horror atmosphere, and um, it kind of tricks you, maybe you know, sometimes into thinking like, "Is this a supernatural occurrence? <clears throat> is just your run-of-the-mill serial killer? Is Kinderman losing his mind? Like, what is going on here at the core?" And at the end. Yeah, it definitely makes a decision. But um, the journey there is so cool. And like you said, it's got, it's got, you know, it's scary. It really is scary. I mean, that woman walking on the fucking ceiling, like just crawling around. Oh, my God. That's one of my favorite images because not only that, but just the way the, the camera kind of, the camera's first off just kind of in love with, with, our, with our man Scott, George C. Scott, because as it should be, because he's a, goddamn titan and you know when you're seeing the woman crawl up i love when the camera is like right in his face with the you know the corner of the screen it's genius it it really is genius stuff and i think it's just been missed and i'm so glad again i'm so grateful that we got we got we got this out out of the draw yeah me too and this really does feel like the true successor to the exorcist like just fucking throw part two away this is your double feature yeah, I wish it had a different name. I wish it wasn't called The Exorcist 3 because, I, I, yeah, I would love to, like, own those two as kind of a double feature, the 73 and the 90. Those, those two are really good. Well, that's what Blatty wanted to do. He wanted it to be, you know, Legion, but the producers were like, no, 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 no. Yes. Exorcist yes. 3. <laughs> oh, okay. Mm. So The Exorcist 3 was written and directed by Oscar winner William Peter Blatty, who won his Oscar for adapting the screenplay of the first Exorcist that was based off of his novel, The Exorcist. Uh, This film is based off his 1983 novel, Legion, but producers insisted Blatty call the film Exorcist 3 for commercial reasons. And really, I mean, who can blame them? Yeah, that's a big franchise name to capitalize on. There's no way they were going to let him get away with that. Yeah, I understand. And it's it's 17 years of of that since the first film came out, you got to kind of hold on to that that glory. Yeah, God knows part 2 erased a big chunk of it <laughs> at the time. Mhm. Blatty also adapted his novel The Ninth Configuration into a 1980 film which he also directed and he also wrote the screenplay for the 1964 Pink Panther sequel A Shot in the Dark. I didn't know that. Hmm. And uh, Blatty died in 2017 at age 89 from multiple myeloma. And uh, he really knew what he wanted. Like, Blatty really had a vision for this. And even though it got a little spliced by the producers, you still feel his, like, his eye here. He's really, really good for a novelist turned screenwriter turned director. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And especially here with this film, we're talking about, you know, 30 years ago and it's kind of kind of some some high-end horror you know you got you got an 11 million dollar budget not anything crazy but what's happening in it is is kind of high concept and you, you just gotta love seeing that from someone like him and to say like you know to to echo what you said about him his vision is just 
it's clearly there. Whether the producers, you know, had had their sense and stuff or not, it's clearly there. It's that's from somebody's brain. Yeah, absolutely. It definitely stands out. You can tell, you know, William Friedkin's eye for what he wanted, and then Blatty's eye for what he wanted. They're different, but they also feel like they exist in the same world. And I like that. Oh, I did not man. feel that with Exorcist Two. No, 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 no. This, this yeah, Friedkin. Obviously, I adore the man. You know, we were able to attach French Connection on this show with the with the Exorcist, and I, I think you know, Blatty has respect, has an admiration for for Friedkin for for that film, and you can see it. But you can, again, you can also see the distinct his own distinct style of filmmaking, and that that's just so important when it comes to horror because we're not stupid; we can tell right away when we're in somebody's hands. Yeah, very true. And this, these are some scary hands to be in. I mean, there's, mm-hmm. you don't feel comfortable during a second of this film. Like it, you are dragged along Kinderman's dark path. And, oh, God, just, what I love most about this film is George C. Scott and Brad Dourif and Jason Miller all didn't need to go as hard as they went. They could have easily phoned it in for a paycheck but they didn't. They gave it their all, and it shows. Yeah, and that's another thing with the horror genre that I've just kind of noticed over time is uh, I think if those guys are going for it or not, I think it's going to probably make its $39 million, right, at the box office. Doesn't doesn't matter too much, which is what you're saying, Connor, is that they don't need to do this. They just did it anyway. And, and Brad Dourif, another guy who popped up, when, of course, when we talked about one for the Cuckoo's Nest, and you know, a- along with The Shining uh, for our hundredth episode, or no, sorry, hundred. What was it? Year, one year. It was our year long. Yeah, our first year anniversary. Sorry, hundredth was just uh, Twin Peaks. Yes, <laughs> like I said, they there's a lot of them, <laughs> and you know, we we talked about him, of course, and, and to see him going going for it is is under you know understating. <laughs> what brad durf is doing he's he's absolutely off his fucking you know off his rocker in this movie he's insane and these are the kind of roles i i would personally love to see nominated for best supporting actor at the the academy Uh, he's just he's insane he's going nuts he's in you know he's in the jacket the straight jacket and you know it's a wonderful wonderful performance and george c scott just brings a maturity and a presence that not a lot of not a lot of guys do yeah, and let's talk about George C. Scott, one of the most powerful performers of the 20th century, a cinema legend, Oscar winner, plays Lieutenant Kinderman stepping into the shoes of Lee J. Cobb in the first film. Uh, I briefly touched on Scott's career when I did The Changeling last year, uh, one of the early solo episodes that's due for a, for a redo. Um, Scott won his only Oscar for 1970's Patton, um, an Oscar that he flat out refused because he believed that every performance was unique and impossible to compare with someone else's. Therefore, no competition was necessary. And uh, that's a that's a pretty uh, honorable reason for refusing an Oscar. Yeah, very, very interesting, too, from this guy who you would think wouldn't be that way. You know, these characters he plays you might think that it'll come across as maybe arrogant or brash or whatever, but no, I, what I've read about him, he's, he's the man, George C. Scott's the man. I, of course, Dr. Strangelove, we'd be, (laughs) 
we'd be silly not to mention uh, how incredible he is in that film. Uh, and Patton, Patton's definitely one we want to do on Oscar Sunday one day. Uh, awesome Best Picture winner, 1970, and yeah, Strange Love we already got to do. So I, yeah, George C. Scott is fucking amazing. Yeah, he every every role I've seen him in has he's brought some kind of like tortured humanity to it. Like you believe that this guy's been through the fucking ringer and he like brings that into every role he does. Like, have you ever seen his, um, his TV movie uh, of, of a Christmas Carol? No, I haven't. He plays Ebenezer Scrooge. It was in like 1980 and okay. so no gruff, but you believe it and you believe the journey of Scrooge becoming this, you know, decent man because Scott just fucking brought it home every time, even for a TV movie. That's so awesome. Oh. Scott was also nominated for his performances in 1959's Anatomy of a Murder. 1961. Oh, oh, that's a great movie. 1961's <laughs> The Hustler, another man, uh, fantastic movie. And 1971's The Hospital, which I have not seen, but I'm sure is great. <laughs> yeah, I haven't seen that one either, but The Hustler, oof. I mean, talk about a film. Jesus Christ, that's a, that's a, that's a good one uh, that also will pop up on Oscar Sunday one day. Funnily enough, Anatomy of a Murder is George C. Scott's first Oscar nomination and uh, Jimmy Stewart's last Oscar nomination. Oh, there you go. Yeah, see them go head to head. Oh, that is... That is a wild courtroom drama, Anatomy, Anatomy of a Murder. I can't can wait to right there. for Sunday, Sunday. Yeah, I can see it staring at me on my shelf. I adore that one. It's uh, one of the better 50s films I've seen, yeah. For sure. Uh, George C. Scott died in 1999 at age 71 from a burst abdominal aneurysm, of all things. But uh, his legacy is, you know, speaks for itself. The man is one of the most fantastic performers to ever stand in front of a camera. Every role he ever had, he delivered. And The Exorcist Three, I think, is one of his strongest, if if you can say that. Yeah, and it's certainly for us one of our favorites because of where we're at. Um with watching, you know, his filmography and just as movie fans, most certainly when you see a good horror movie and then you see a really cool actor at the center of it doing cool things. Yeah. It, you just, you, you, you kind of become a sucker for it and that's what he's doing. It blows my mind that in like every exorcist movie attracts really big names. Like the first one, you know, he had Max von Sydow. part two, you've got Richard Burton. Part three, you've got George C. Scott, and the prequel has Stellan Skarsgård. Like, these people keep gravitating towards this franchise. It, oh, it's beautiful. The TV show had Gina Davis. Yeah, next, <laughs> next, I think maybe we could get uh, Edward Norton. What do you think about that? No, I think, after, I think he got his taste of horror with Red Dragon, and I don't think he liked it. That's kind of why. That's kind of why I, I want someone like him because he hasn't done a lot of horror. He hasn't. Edward Norton is picky as fuck. I don't. You'd you'd have to be. You'd have to have a hell of a script to get him involved, and then he would rewrite it anyway. Well, and he's on a different path now. After Motherless Brooklyn, he showed his traps as a director. Like the guy, the guy's got an eye, and I think yeah, you like you said, he's picky and choosy, and nothing wrong with that because he's so goddamn talented. If they end up doing something, I'm sure I doubt the Exorcist franchise is dead. They're always mining, you know, '70s gold always. So they'll do they'll do another Exorcist at some point. And yeah, maybe if the script is good enough, he might jump in there. 
We have Oscar nominee Brad Dourif, who plays the sadistic Gemini killer. Dourif is nominated for his performance in 1975's One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, and he has made a name for himself as an immensely talented character actor. Horror fans know him mostly as the voice of Chucky in the Child's Play series. Fantastic in that. <laughs> he's every time, you know, he's just great. Uh, some of his other standout roles include Blue Velvet, Dune, Mississippi Burning, Deadwood, the 2007 Halloween remake, and the Lord of the Rings trilogy as Grima Wormtongue. He is everywhere. <laughs> yes, yes, he is. Imagine this guy's uh, contact in his phones. His contacts in his phones are probably just all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> and he's so good. He, he might even eclipse George C. Scott in this. Like, he is off the, ch- he's off the fucking charts good in this movie. Oh yeah, you need um, you 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 need George C. George C. Scott's presence, his maturity, kind of like that, that gravitas. You need it, and the way he the way he handles and reacts to to Durif allows Durif to do what he's doing and be so crazy. True, and I think Scott knows that. I think Scott is like, yeah, man, you're you're the one with the with the fucking juice here. You know, take it away. Um, and he certainly out outshines everybody in it. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, I've forgotten like how good he was, and then I watched it, and I just like got drawn in by him. I couldn't, I couldn't look away. His hair, ah, yeah. There was this episode of the X Files where Duriff played a convicted serial killer, Luther Lee Boggs. <laughs> yes, I in know the what first you're season, <laughs> and th- he was easy, like this. That was shortly after this, so I'm sure like he, you know, drew from this for that performance. Had to, had to. <laughs> Oh, boy. We have Ed Flanders as Father Dyer, Kinderman's good friend who is murdered in the hospital. Flanders was known for his role as Dr. Donald Westfall in the medical drama Saint Elsewhere, for which he won an Emmy. He also appeared in the 1979 miniseries Salem's Lot, which we covered on the podcast a while back. And uh, I remember that he, uh, he committed suicide in 1995 at 60 years old. He, had a, he shot himself. And uh, Ed Flanders is really good in this. Uh, I like Father Dyer. He's not, you know, he's the priest I would want if I was religious. <laughs> I feel like I could talk about whatever the hell with this guy and he'd be like, yeah, fuck it. <laughs> oh, that's perfect. Yeah. Well, Father, I've got 17 cents to tell you about. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, he's fantastic. And I love his, uh, his friendship with Kinderman. Really, like, yes. I love Kinderman's reaction to his death because he, he start, you know, he, he cries for him. It's, you don't see that from a, a man, you know, a rough cop like George C. Scott would play, but that emotion, it just works. It makes you, like, relate to Kinderman even more. Like, this is a man crying for the death of his best friend. Again. <laughs> Again. Yeah. He's, ah, we'll get to it. Oscar nominee Jason Miller returns to the role of Father Damien Karras. He first appeared as Father Karras in the original Exorcist, a role which got him an Oscar nomination. And considering he didn't have a very good time on that set, I'm surprised he came back for part three. Yeah, I know. Uh, I, 17 years, I guess, of time. Well, Andy had uh, serious alcohol problems. Uh, I think that killed him. He, um, yeah, he had a rough, he had a rough uh, journey. Joe, uh, 
Jason Miller. But Rough he's really good at fucking go it. Yeah, this is, you know, his role. He's always The Exorcist was his first film. And uh this was yeah, I'm glad he came back to kind of connect those two. Yeah, and it certainly gives, you know, fans of the first one just kind of like this extra jolt of energy when you see his face, you're like, "Oh fuck, that's ah, that's that's his, that's him, you know?" And that's such a fascinating feeling. Next, we have Scott Wilson, who plays Dr. Temple, the doctor that Gemini has control of. Wilson is known mostly for his role as Herschel Green on AMC's The Walking Dead uh, for a few seasons. Some of his other film roles include In the Heat of the Night, The Host, The Last Samurai, Pearl Harbor, G.I. Jane, and Young Guns 2. That's just naming a few. Wilson died in 2018 at age 76 from leukemia. And he had a hell of a career as a character actor. He popped up all the time. And I really liked him on The Walking Dead. Yeah, that's not a show that I know too much about. I stopped after uh, two seasons. But Jesus, man, this guy's IMDb pages everywhere, just like Dirth. Yeah. He was, uh, you know, the kindly farmer who gives Rick's group shelter in season two, ends up becoming a crucial part of the group. Okay. Headed okay. by the governor in season four. <laughs> Oh, the uh, the dreaded governor. Yes. Oh yeah, he, it's coming together now. Yeah, because isn't um, uh, John Bernthal plays what's his name like in the first few seasons? And I remember him. That's yeah. yeah. I, I I don't know much about it. <laughs> Bane got killed at the end of season two. That's how they learned that you don't need to get bit to come back as a zombie. Then season three was going up. You know to the prison and the governor and then four was the return of the governor and five was the cannibals. And it just, it was a crazy show and it's still, I haven't watched the current season cause I just got tired of the melodrama, but um, I'm sure once it's on streaming, I'll, you know, just catch up just for the hell of it. Yeah. Yeah. Why not at this point? Um, then we have Nickel Williamson who plays father morning, the priest who feels the pull to exercise the Gemini. And Williamson was a Shakespearean theater actor, considered one of the finest of his generation, but had kind of a uh, career downturn in the late 70s. And uh, some of his film roles include Excalibur, Robin and Marion, Return to Oz, and the movie that I knew him from, Spawn. Ah. Yeah, he's Cogliostro for you. Okay, there you go. Spawn fans out there. There's not a lot of you, but... He died in 2011 at age 75 from esophageal cancer. And he is intense in this movie. He's, in it, he's not in it a lot, but he, it, you feel that this guy is a true follower of the Lord. Like, he just has this commanding presence of, like, demon be gone. <laughs> I liked him a lot. <laughs> My God. Demon be gone. <laughs> but, of course, the demon fucks him up royally. <laughs> I was not expecting that kind of a brutal supernatural beating. I mean, good lord! But when his like when he like rolled on the ceiling and his fucking face skin peeled off. Oh my god! <laughs> Disgusting. He's and then he's still alive after all that shit. Ah, oh, we'll get to it. <laughs> <laughs> the Exorcist Three has an IMDb score of six point four. A criminally low Rotten Tomatoes score of 59%. It was a modest success, grossing about $39 million on a budget of $11 million. 
it's since become a cult classic and has been embraced by the horror community as a hidden gem, which it certainly is. And uh, yeah, let's talk about the movie. So we talked about this on Oscar Sunday. Uh, going forward, we're not going to just read off the plot synopsis. We're going to just kind of wing it and go through what we liked about the plot and just talk about the movie for a bit off the cuff. Yeah, yeah. Have some fun with it. And so uh, with that, I'll, I'll start off by saying uh, as an exorcist fan and horror fan, when you see those stairs at the beginning of the movie, holy shit. Welcome <laughs> back, motherfuckers. The stairs and then the music starts playing, tubular bells. I was like, oh, fuck, we're home. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It definitely is that feeling of we're home. And I, I was thinking of like other movies or things that have done that. And, and the first thing that popped out to me right away was Halloween 2018. Yes. And the, there's just a couple moments where you're like, ah, Haddonfield, good to be back. <laughs> <laughs> I had that feeling with, it's not horror, but I had that feeling when I saw X-Men Days of Future Past. Okay. It, it opens with the same score from X-Men 2, and I lost my shit. <laughs> Because I'm I'm a huge X Men fan, so I was like, oh my god, it's X Men two. We're going like we're going classic. Ah, this is gonna be amazing. So yeah, I love those m- music cues in movies are like my favorite when they bring back a score and they you know reminds you like we know what you like and you're gonna enjoy this. That's what it oh, makes. Me- so good. <laughs> oh boy. Um. So yeah, we start strong with the music. Uh. George C. Scott, Kinderman, uh, investigating a murder, a series of murders, grisly murders, and uh, his, he's hanging out with his friend, Father Dyer, and Father Dyer is this just like, if you met him without the collar, you would never think this guy was a priest, <laughs> the way he talks. Just such a sarcastic bastard. He actually tells somebody, may the shorts be with you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you you would think you would think this guy's just hanging out at the bar down, you know, on the corner. Like he's and he's just there all day. <laughs> <laughs> he's great. And you know, the the lengths they go to to establish his friendship, it really breaks your heart when he ends up getting murdered. And uh Yeah. Yeah, no kidding. The way he gets murdered too. Like they, they drained all of his blood into these cups and then wrote it's a wonderful life in blood on the wall. Good God. Brutal. Another great shot of the, uh, just the the room that they're in this uh this hospital room and the overhead view. You know, as if you're kind of a fly on the wall. It's 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 really good stuff. And I love when the camera is aware of who is in front of it. And when George C. Scott's in front of it, you just pay attention to what he's doing. And that's what's going on here. I think the cinematography is surprisingly good. Uh, for a horror sequel. Like, they really... It really amazes me how much attention was given to this one, considering they didn't have to try very hard. (laughs) Yeah, no kidding. No kidding. Jerry Fisher, the cinematographer, also brings his A-game, just like the the performers. And it, it just starts flowing. It just starts flowing. This movie forces you to, you know, immerse yourself into it and... If you're not an Exorcist fan, it doesn't really even matter because it's so good. Uh, the way, you know, the camera's just kind of panning around the streets. And as, like you said, as we get to know Kinderman and see that it's a wonderful life thing. And all these things are just great movie making, regardless of if, if it's attached to the Exorcist or not. I love when uh, George C. Scott goes to visit the coroner 
to find you know to talk about the body and uh the corner shows him these the murder weapon that he he believes was the murder weapon this giant pair of medical like hedge clippers they look like these like this giant pair of scissors and <laughs> George C. Scott's like, what's this number here? He's like, oh, that's the order code. Like, this is new? Like, yeah. Where's the, where's the old one? <laughs> that's, all you, that's all they tell you. That's how you know that was, that was a murder weapon. It's, like, it's a smart script. It doesn't just, you know, spoon feed you. It's not, you know, all jump scares. It's atmosphere and it's clever writing. It's <laughs> yeah. so good. And if you, you pair that, all of that, with uh you know about 20 30 minutes in you get to see fabio and patrick fucking ewing so yeah in the dream sequence that was i couldn't i was like is that fucking fabio (laughs) i had to rewind it like there's no way i just saw fabio in the exorcist (laughs) three patrick patrick ewing you know i my mind started racing i i'm a massive massive basketball fan and i was wondering okay so 1990 uh, I know Patrick Ewing got drafted in 1985, so he's been with the New York Knicks for five seasons at that point. And, okay, when this movie comes out, he's definitely like a New York legend. And then I remembered he also went to Georgetown for college. There you go. So uh, from 1981 to 1985, he went to Georgetown, famously played against Michael Jordan in the 1982 uh, championship game where Michael Jordan hit game and shot. Patrick Ewing was kind of the guy who should have been guarding him. I just put all that shit together and it was really, really interesting because I just wonder who went up to Patrick and asked him, Hey man, you want to be in this movie? Cause he's also in space jam. Yeah. And he, and he's quite, quite good. I actually think he's the best of the other guys, him and Charles Barkley. I think he's quite good when he's, um, when he's lounging around on space jam and you got, you know, very, very white in the background. Yeah. 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 And then, you know, Patrick Green kind of sits up when he's, you know, he's talking to the psychiatrist or whatever, you know, and kind of sits up. What? <laughs> because the psychiatrist questions him about his, like, sexual... His performance. His, like, se- his sexual performance. And, and, you know, this is Space Jam, a kid's movie, which definitely has some innuendo stuff going on in it. At one point, Bugs Bunny turns into, like, a, you know, like a real-life boner or something. It's so weird. <laughs> but I but I love that movie, and it was just so interesting to see. Okay, I guess Patrick Ewing kind of likes acting. <laughs> yeah. Do you remember when Fabio got hit in the face with a, geese in a, ro- with a goose on a roller coaster? You remember that? Of course, of course. That's the only thing I think of now when I see Fabio, is just him getting whacked in the face with a bird. Yeah, and now this movie. Yeah. My God. Such a weird dream sequence. It really is. It's, it's kind of like David Lynchy, but with with less like you know ominous sounds. <laughs> true. Very true. So after Father Dyer gets killed, that puts the focus on this hospital because clearly you know the the murder weapon came from the hospital. His friend was murdered at the hospital. Something is happening in this hospital, and uh, Kinderman goes to talk to the like the catatonics, the people like with uh, Alzheimer's. And he has a feeling about these people. And it was a good feeling because I, I, I love the idea of a demon is able to possess a weak mind and he can just climb into these catatonics whenever he needs to kill. That's so smart. <laughs> so dangerously, evilly smart. <laughs> yeah, 
it really freaked me out. Like with vampires, not vampires. I don't know why I said vampires. With demons, like there are rules, but once they're in, anything can happen. Like all they need is is you know one open door, and they're in. And the idea that like this demon who was defeated by Father Karras would meet a serial killer on the other side and be like, "Hey, I have a plan." I'm going to stick it to that son of a bitch. (laughs) That's awesome. He like told the Gemini, you go into that body. And then once you're fully healed, you just murder everything you can. So you can soil this man's soul. Just fuck it up. Yeah. (laughs) Ah, damn Pazuzu. You motherfucker. (laughs) I love when he's explaining that to the Gemini's like, you know, I have friends on the other side and they don't like him. You know, that connection, once once you start establishing that connection, it's just, it's such a cool bit of dialogue. Just the director of going off. The demon connection? Yeah. Uh, Anytime you get a good demon connection in a movie, it's it's awesome. Like they're on the same wavelength. And the Gemini, you know, this is a serial killer who was was killed. He was executed. But now he's back. And I love that it wasn't just immediate. Like he's... He's been catatonic because it's taken him 15 years to rebuild this guy's brain so he can yes. use it. That whole bit is probably my favorite part where Brad Dourif is just kind of explaining how, how he got here. And Kinderman's just like, you're fucking crazy. <laughs> but and I, mean, I was like, yeah, and I'm also going to do it again. <laughs> yeah, but I'm well aware of how crazy I am. It took me 15 years. Like that, ugh, the like waver in his voice as the demon starts like taking over, and you just oh, oh, get so deeper. good. <laughs> yeah, and then when you know randomly he turns into Jason Miller and he's just like you know, let me go, kill me, <laughs> please. It's sad. 15 years he's been trapped for doing the right thing. And through all this, you get random glimpses of Father Morning hearing, like, God and the devil, like, in this endless battle and him having to make a decision of, like, what must I do, Lord? <laughs> it's so intense. <laughs> yeah, it's, it, it really is. It's, it's ultimate evil, you know, good versus evil, God versus Satan. It, it, it like, is putting all that stuff on the table. And here's Kinderman, and it, just this man. It, it, this exactly. War. Exactly. He's us, right? He's us, the skeptic, the guy who wants to, he's like, nah, you're just crazy. And Oh, yes. But when crazy is aware of its own crazy, they're not so crazy. <laughs> <laughs> and Gemini yeah. is like, I'm going to make you a believer. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> Frightening. Holy shit. So let's talk about arguably the scariest scene in the movie that everyone has kind of agreed on. The death of the, of the nurse, uh, Amy. Yes. Holy shit. <laughs> that is scarier than anything I saw in the first movie. I mean, something about that, the build up to that, and just the, you know, the music cue, the, it's fucking horrifying. Extremely. Yeah. The, from the two cops, uh, leaving, leaving the building slowly, and, you know, just the, the methodical nature of this part of the film, you know, you got to just be, you got to be thinking whoever, whatever crew was behind the camera while that was being done, they were like, oh boy, we got some gold here. Cause it's, 
but down that corridor, down that hallway, the camera just finds a nice little spot so you can see the door on the left, you can see the desk and the nurse and the cops leaving the building. It's just this perfect kind of security camera style, you know, way of catching, yeah, the, the scariest part of the film. It, it is so good. And that music cue is, is, is right on par with all the best horror movies I've ever seen, you know, right on par with The Shining and Psycho and all these. It just, it, it hits it right at the right moment. That zoom of just like, like, that, like we're here now. Uh, you don't even see it happen you just see the you know it cuts away right before the scissors get her neck yes <laughs> you're just left with like the fuck was that it's oh my god <laughs> i love uh, it so much that scene where um kinderman's uh calling his wife and you see it cuts away to the wife talking to kinderman and then it cuts back and kinderman's got a busy signal like oh god <laughs> what's gonna happen incredible oh boy why'd you send a nurse over and she's just sitting there like i told you what detective (laughs) (laughs) can be anywhere and wait like talk about grandma's great reflexes grabbing his daughter out of the jaws of death literally oh boy yeah i could talk about this movie all day this is i was really into this one Oh yeah, all all the all the scenes, all the all the scary scenes, scary moments are are so worth talking about, so worth conversation. Uh, I I really really like because you have George C. Scott. I really like the scenes that are just just him and the patients, or just him and one patient, or just him and Brad Dourif, right? Like like you brought up, you know, when you're watching him, when you're watching George C. Scott, just kind of react to all this and. He's just a man. He's just, he's just an old man trying his best to do his job. And I, I love all those conversations. I love his conversations with, um, with the doctor. The, uh, what's his name? The doctor is smoking the whole time. Um, Temple. What's his name? Yeah, 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 yeah. We just talked. Yeah, yeah. Dr. Temple. Yeah, because he's the one who um, commits suicide. He's the one that I, those conversations are fascinating, right? Between him and him and Kenderman where they're kind of walking down the corridors and that's, that's the stuff of horror, right? Is when you bring up the questions of crazy, insane, mentally ill, mentally disturbed, all of these things kind of like perk your interest, you know? And at the end of the day, this one, this one is, uh, you know, Damien Karras and, and, you know, these characters are taken up by, by something that knows what it is, knows how insane it is, knows how dark and evil it is, which is what makes it so frightening. The idea of a serial killer coming back to possess a priest yeah, is it, yeah, vicious. Yeah. Extremely. Knowing that, having that awareness, and knowing that if I do this, if I, if I possess this guy, this would be the most frightening way to you know, go about my business. Oh. And all of it overse- overseen by the demon who possessed Regan McNeil in the first film. Exactly. Vengeance, pure demonic yeah. vengeance. <laughs> yes. Like I will have my fair share of evil. I promise you. Like it's that kind of, that kind of umph and grit. And it's, that's, that's really cool. It's really rewarding as a war fan. It really is. It feels like natural progression and it's such a cool idea and it's done so well. Oh my and th- this is how, if there was to be a, you know, 
an exorcist movie in the 2020s this is the kind of thing i would want them to do is you know take a really really good actor you know place him in the middle of this fucked up thing and kind of go along the lines of exorcist 3 uh, you have something idea um so if we're doing like a new exorcist we do it halloween style where we do a direct yes. sequel where like yes. in her 50s or something and you know she's she remembers all this and she's been preparing for the return of Pazuzu. Like she knows he's still out there. And then maybe he possesses her granddaughter or something. Yeah. That'd be perfect. I don't know. I think that this could work. I we we saw with Halloween that it is possible to revisit these stories and do a really cool version. So I think anything's fair game if you have the right people. Yeah. And then let's let's say like, yeah, you said granddaughter, so like Oh, some young actress like Saoirse Ronan is the granddaughter and gets possessed. My God, she would be insane. <laughs> she would be so good. <laughs> or or I, I think my vote might actually be Mallory Pugh from Midsommar. She would be really cool. I like her a lot. Oh, I, yeah. that's a, yeah. What's her name? I think I just said a different name. Lawrence but... Pugh, right? Yeah, yeah. Mallory Pugh is a soccer player. I'm very sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very sorry. Watch too many sports. <laughs> she would be good too. She's a good choice. Yeah, no, I, I mean, love Florence Pugh. Linda Blair is, you know, old enough to be a grandma now. So, oh, oh, yeah, for someone who's in their twenties, yeah, for sure. I could, oh, man, I wish I had clout. I would pitch the hell out of this. <laughs> oh, for sure. You know, and you're we thinking need along people. the line. Yeah, you're thinking along the lines of Hall- Halloween 2018. You know, The Invisible Man. You know, we're gonna have Wolfman with Ryan Gosling. You're like, yes. Let's get another wicked, wicked, talented person like Gosling or Elizabeth Moss, you know, or Jamie Lee Curtis for fuck's sake. And let's put him in the middle of this shit, put him in the middle of it. And, and you, bam, that's how you revamp the franchise and make it really interesting for modern horror fans and film fans altogether. I could see like Michael Fassbender as like a tortured priest who's been studying oh. this case for like 20 years and Maybe he, you know, his father knew uh, Damien Karras or something. Like, yeah, well, let's just, we could just keep going with this. So I'm going to give you another one. Maybe, maybe Christoph Waltz is somehow related to Damien Karras. He's and, related to Father Marin. And he's always, always been like an atheist. You know, he's this major skeptic, right? And Christoph Waltz just gets to be a complete a-hole. <laughs> And, and he, he just gets fucking bombarded by this. Oh, my God, all this shit is actually real. Now he believes in the heaven and hell and everything. This could work. Uh, yeah. This and, could work. And there's plenty of actors. You could, you could completely turn it and, you know, make it affect some sort of complete different ethnicity. You know, you could take it to a different culture. Like, Pazuzu is now like, no, all of my demons are going to fucking take over different areas, not just attack this one. What if... After the events of all this shit, Regan became a nun. Oh, there you go. And That's she a good studied thing. the rites of exorcism. Yes. She's and like, they I go am... to her to get the demon out. And Pazuzu's like, it's you. Oh, my God. It's, <laughs> that would be so cool. It's you, bitch. Uh, fuck me. Fuck me. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, no, it, that'd be a lot of fun, right? I, I would love, you know... Mm. These these horror movies, these like you know legendary seventies, you know eighties ones, you know it, it was it was a lot of fun for a long time to to fantasize about what would happen with a Shining sequel, and then we got it with Doctor Sleep. True, you know, and you know, these things are always open because 
because of, you know, licensing, because of rights, because of fans, you know, because of just money. And I definitely could see the exorcist making some sort of comeback or rise in the 2020s because of where horror is going uh, with, you know, with the invisible man, I think is a big deal and movies like the conjuring for this past decade. Like it certainly has a place more than ever, right? Uh, it's going to make its money because horror fans are going to go see it. And so I, I think it, you know, in the right hands, man, with the right, with the right actors, this would, this would psych us up like crazy. True. Oh man. That's, that's so much fun to think about. It really, I mean, we could take any actor, right. And play, you know, find a way to like, I right, fuck, you could take Lakeith Stanfield, right. And maybe this guy is training to become some sort of priest and, you know, in Brooklyn or something somewhere in the Northeast. And he just kind of finds, you know, kind of trips up upon this weird shit and it just completely takes over part of his culture, part of his family, his, you know, and now, now these demons are kind of spreading their way around and yeah. Unending. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I hope somebody in Hollywood hears this podcast and is like, you know what? That's a good idea. Uh, There's, there's people out there. I'm sure who, who, who are, I just, I just really hope the right people are in that room saying, Hey, we need to really take care of this the way, like the way they did David Gordon green with uh, Halloween 2018 respect. Horror is in a good, a really good place right now. And, uh, Oh yeah. We're just getting, you know, it, the fans are behind the camera and I, I love that. That's where we're at right now. So I feel like if it was ever going to happen in a good way, it, it would happen now. Yes. And we will see. Let's talk about the exorcism itself in this movie. Oh yeah, let's talk about that kind of climactic moment. It starts with Father Morning showing up to the cell and being like, "It's time. <laughs> the Lord is with me, and I shall smite thee." Like he is so righteous, <laughs> and he goes in there with the you know the book of the book of exorcism and starts ta- you know re- reading it and. Gemini is like, nope, not today. <laughs> you don't have the power to take me down. It's like, uh, it's like Jonah Hill on This Is The End. Is it compelling me? Is it? <laughs> <laughs> Love that movie. That's great. I haven't seen that in a while. That's a it's, good one. I think it's actually underrated at this point. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> My favorite part is when Dana McBride loses his shit and just starts chugging their water. <laughs> uh, yeah, Danny Danny McBride is on a whole different level uh, with that during that movie. You know, no, who's giving off rapey vibes? I'm not giving off rapey vibes. I will jerk off all over this house. I'll come on the walls. I'll come on the floor. I'll come anywhere I goddamn want to. Holy shit! And, and, and James Franco's like, put your dick away. That <laughs> that. You know, these, these actors who are still like guys that we love, it's just funny to see them just not giving a fuck. I love when Franco gets raptured and he's like, fuck you, fuck you. And then they drop him. (laughs) (laughs) Suck my dick, bitches. (laughs) Zap. And uh, Channing Tatum is like Danny McBride's new bitch. Oh my God. (laughs) Oh, before we get back into the exorcism. Yeah. It's, uh, uh. Uh, Craig Robinson, one of my favorite lines from that whole movie is they're looking at a Bible and there's, there's pictures in this Bible, like little illustrations. And one of them it's they're reading in revelation. Jay Baruchel's character is reading 
from Revelation, and there's a little picture, and Craig Robinson's like, oh, man, I know what those are. That's where <laughs> – those are from where the wild things are. <laughs> and it's, it's these little, like, demon things in, like, illustrations in the Bible. <laughs> where the wild things are. <laughs> oh, he's oh, sarcastically God. talking about the Bible. It's just – it's blasphemy, really. It's blasphemy, and it's but it's funny. <laughs> it remind it reminds me of like a, a live action South Park episode on steroids or something. It's so funny. <laughs> <laughs> it's fan- yeah, it's great. It's a great one. Oh well, <laughs> the uh, Gemini throws Father Morning up on the ceiling and just fucks him up. He b- obliterates the book. Yes, which was nuts, and glues father morning to the ceiling and he tries to peel himself off and his flesh is coming off and it's vicious and grisly and brutal and uh kinderman shows up after uh gemini tries to kill his family and is like all right i'm ending this today i don't know how but i'm ending this today (laughs) and he walks in there and he sees what's (laughs) what what's left of father morning it, it seems on the ceiling and then the body slumps from from the corner. And uh, Kinderman then gets thrown up against the wall. And I love this bit when Gemini's like, do you believe now, Kinderman? And he's like, oh, I believe. I believe in everything that is wrong with the world. I believe yeah. in evil. I believe in slime. I believe in you, you son of a bitch. Like, oh, my God. I love that. I believe in slime. That was perfect. <laughs> Oh, and as he's doing that, we see Father Morning, who is still alive somehow, crawling towards his crucifix. And he picks it up and he's like, you know, be gone. And he's like, fight, Damien, fight. And you see the glimpse of humanity in, in his eyes. And then he just, he, switch, he switches. He's, you know, Damien fights free. And he just yells at Kinderman, kill me now, Bill, kill me. And he shoots him in the, in the chest. They're fucking crazy. Unbelievable. <laughs> and you, you, you are watching this and for a gunshot, that abruptness. It's mm. so raw. It's so raw and so real and such an, uh, a reaction that so many people would have. That image of Father Karras on the cross being pulled up from hell by these legions of the dead. Oh. This, this movie is gorgeous. Yes. It's so underrated. So many people don't know about this one. It's, and they don't know they don't know that Kevin Corrigan isn't at the beginning either, which I totally forgot about. I forgot to mention that. Do you, do you remember seeing him at the beginning as the altar boy? Who now? Kevin Corrigan? No, I don't remember that. Yeah, when he popped up at the beginning, I was dying laughing. This is this is a guy who's just popped in up in a bunch of random ass comedies. Hmm. And for him to be in this, uh, you know, 30 years ago, he must have been like 20 years old. Yeah, he's 51 right now. So, yeah, he's 20. That's crazy. Holy crap. Did you happen to see who was a blind man in the dream sequence? Yeah, Samuel L. Jackson. Holy shit. Yeah. Yeah, and I then, had to pause it. And then fucking Larry King is at the restaurant. Yeah, yeah as himself. Yeah. yeah How many no, people? This cast, this cast is insane. I don't know what happened here. For, for, them to, for them to all be involved. That's fantastic. <laughs> so cool. Yeah, so the film ends when uh, Kinderman blows Karis' brains out, destroys the Gemini, 
saves his friend's soul and thwarts Pazuzu for good. And uh, they bury Karis, who has been missing for 15 years. And I'm assuming they bury Father Morning, too. He's not walking away from that. <laughs> no, 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 no. Oh, so I give – I uh, well, before we do the scores, here's some film guys and facts. Uh, number one, and this was fairly obvious, uh, the Gemini killer character was inspired by the real-life serial killer, the Zodiac, who was never caught. And uh, frankly, Zodiac is a much better name for this character, but they couldn't exactly do that. I don't. Yeah, Gemini's okay, but yeah, Zodiac is perfect. I wonder if, like, I'm sure they did it out of, you know, respect, but if they did it, would Zodiac come out and, like, sue them? <laughs> would that be the way to draw him out? <laughs> Bastards. <laughs> I did a lot for that name. <laughs> Number two. William Peter Blatty offered directorial responsibilities to John Carpenter, who really liked his script, but backed out when it became clear that Blatty really wanted to direct this himself. He just needed a, a you know, a name, but uh, Carpenter was like, so really I'm just following your lead here. <laughs> Blatty's like, that's right. He's like, well, why don't you just direct it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Take the reins, buddy. Number three. This is the favorite film of serial killer Jeffrey Dahmer. Mm, I don't know what to think about that. That's great. Yeah, good. I'm glad I enjoyed this. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> Fuck. Oh boy. I way, to make me, yeah, way, way to make me feel like a goddamn weirdo. Yeah. <laughs> Just me and Jeff. Yeah. Enjoying The Exorcist 3. I can see why Dahmer would like this. It's a movie about a serial killer coming back from the dead to do whatever the fuck he wants. I can see that being, you know, God. <laughs> yeah. Number Dahmer four. was, uh, Dahmer was, uh, was absolutely insane. Maybe he thinks he's coming back. Hopefully not. That would, that would be bad. <laughs> oh, well, that would be God awful for all mankind. So yeah. <laughs> Number four, uh, there's a pretty infamous director's cut of this film that was lost for quite a long time. Um, in 2007, William Peter Blatty's wife issued a statement saying that the deleted footage had been lost by Morgan Creek Productions and her husband's cut would likely never be seen. So the footage that Blatty put together as the director's cut was misplaced by Morgan Creek and lost forever. Until 2016, when the footage was discovered in the original VHS dailies of the film. They were, they were recovered, spliced into the, into the theatrical version, and there is now a full-blown director's cut available on Prime. It was released in 2016, and we will probably be doing that in the future as its own episode because it is apparently vastly different. Yeah, no, I would love to do that uh, as a standalone. <sighs> so cool. That we get another chance to enjoy this movie. That's exciting. <laughs> Um, I give The Extras 3 an 8. It's an eerie movie with a great story and amazing performances. It Honestly, it could be a 9 someday. This is, this is a great movie. Yeah, definitely definitely has the ability to rise up to a 9. I also give it an 8. Um, and I, you know, really, really look at it as one of my favorite 1990 movies. Uh, certainly one of my favorite horror movies of the 90s because there's just not a lot that I've seen from that decade that I've been too, too impressed with. Of course, you know, Sounds of the Lambs sticks out, but 
Exorcist 3. I'm really glad we got to reevaluate it and I have a whole new respect for it. Same here. And speaking of 1990 movies, I believe you have another movie tournament for me to try my hand out. <clears throat> yes, I do. I have something special here. So you've seen uh, a good good chunk of films from, from 1990, uh, as have I. What, what I did here was I picked 15 movies that you have written a review for on Filmgasm that are from <laughs> 1990. And I picked one movie that you have not written a review for from 1990, but you have seen it. Okay, uh, I like this. So, so, so there's 16 altogether, seeded 1 through 16. Uh, we'll go ahead and start with the 1 seed versus the 16 seed. Heads up, the 16 seed is the movie you have not reviewed yet on Filmgasm, but you have seen it. That would be Goodfellas vs. Godfather, part three. <laughs> oh my god, is that even a contest? It's one verse 16, yeah. Oh my lord. Uh, Goodfellas, that's not even a... Well, yeah, yeah, of course. That was for shits and giggles, obviously. Goodfellas is, is, is uh, sweeping the shit out of that one. So, so did you say I haven't, seen God- I haven't done a review on Godfather 3? I, I didn't find one anyway when I searched it on Filmgasm. I did do a, I did do a review on Godfather 3. Then maybe you have one for all 16 because, yeah, I was trying to figure out which ones you didn't. And there were a few on the list you sent me. But, yeah, I, I was able to get 16 for sure. So, all right. Well, there is a review. I assume you gave it like a five or a six because it's six. a piece of shit. Yeah, it was a six. Goodfellas is a straight 10, so that's an obvious. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, at the one seat because it's going to be pretty hard to beat here. Uh, yes. Let's go to the two versus 15 matchup on the other side. That would be Misery versus Dick Tracy. Oh, okay. Uh. I did not like Dick Tracy, like, at all. I thought that movie was stupid. I thought it didn't make any sense. And uh, I don't really understand the love, so I'm going to go Misery, absolutely. That movie is fantastic. Yeah, Misery, you gave a 9. Dick Tracy, I think you gave a 6. Yes. Uh, so, yeah, that's a 215 matchup. That's not surprising at all. Let's uh, go down to the 3 versus 14. That would be the Coen Brothers. Miller's Crossing versus Total Recall. <laughs> Oh, all right. Miller's Crossing, a fantastic gangster flick with very nuanced performances and memorable characters. Total Recall, a dumpster fire that I don't really understand gets so much love and is one of the most cheesy, ridiculous sci-fi thrillers I've ever seen. I'm going Miller's Crossing. Hell yes. Can't argue with that at all. Let's (laughs) bump it over to the four seat on the other side. This will be uh, the side of the bracket that has Goodfellas. Uh, that'd be four seed Home Alone versus thirteen seed The Freshman. Uh, the Freshman was interesting. Uh, Marlon Brando basically playing a caricature of Don Corleone. Why he agreed to do that film, I'll never understand. Uh, Matthew Broderick, I've never really been a huge fan of. It's a very goofy film that never takes his its. Uh, premise as like as crazy as it could go it really could have been special but home alone is a classic and it's hilarious and so fun and yeah i'll go home alone every time easy easy money all right well okay this one's really interesting i have uh, the five seed versus the 12 seed and i uh, you know m- made a mistake here honestly so this is a really really tough matchup edward scissorhands versus the exorcist three <laughs> that's interesting okay Edward Scissorhands I watched for the first time when we were doing the Vincent Price episode yes. and um, I thought it was very good I thought it was very 
sweet, very sad. Uh, I thought Johnny Depp was fantastic. I thought uh, Winona Ryder was good. Uh, one of Burton's best films, but I do not think it rivals the atmosphere of The Exorcist Three. I think that this is a film that I'll be watching quite a lot over the years. Edward Scissorhands I may revisit, but I think it's one of those films that I'm just glad I saw. So I'm going to go Exorcist Three. I like it. I like it. So Exorcist Three on to the next round. Let's go back over to the other side of the bracket. That'd be the six seed versus the eleven seed. That's Pacific Heights versus Mo Betta Blues. <laughs> that's that's a weird matchup. I like that. Okay. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Pacific Heights is a very underrated thriller where we get to see Michael mm-hmm. Keaton play a real sadistic shit. And yeah. uh, I thought that was really cool. It's got some moments that really creeped me out. Mo Better Blues, I liked. I thought it was. Uh, I thought the performance was really good. Um, honestly, kind of forgettable. And uh, I think I'm going to go Pacific Heights on that. That's fair. I mean, you know, I love Mo Better Blues. That's one of my favorite Spike Lee movies. But I, I understand that for sure. All right, so this is uh, the seven versus ten matchup. That's Jacob's Ladder versus Young Guns Two. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, it's been a long time since I saw Jacob's Ladder. Yeah, I remember it really being just a wacky fucking movie. Like, I don't know what the hell's going on. It's got some just visceral horror imagery in that film. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If it's a demon movie, it's great. If it's a Vietnam metaphor, it's great. Tim Robbins is fantastic. Young Guns 2 was not as good as the first one. Had some moments. Uh, honestly, my favorite part is the Bon Jovi song at the end. So I'm, I think I'm going to go Jacob's Ladder. Okay, I like it. I like it. All right, this would be the last matchup of the first round. That would be the eight seed, Presumed Innocent. Versus nine seed Rocky Five. Oh, damn. Yeah, that one's a hard one. <laughs> Both solid sevens. Um, presumed innocent. Harrison Ford, courtroom drama slash crime thriller. You know, I didn't kill the whore or whatever it was. I don't remember. <laughs> I think I don't think it was I think it was like his uh, a legal assistant. I don't see how influential this film was. <laughs> it's <was> just <laughs> In the end, it's kind of like, I didn't do it, or you didn't do it, I did it. Like, no shit. He's okay. Uh, very forgettable. Rocky Five has grown on me over the years. It's, not, it's nowhere near the best Rocky movie, but it's not that bad. I like the idea of Rocky kind of forced into retirement and trying to take on a protege. His rela- him trying to build a relationship with his son was very sweet. I thought Tommy Gunn was a suitable villain the street fight at the end was okay i would have preferred a you know ring fight but i'll take what i can get i'm gonna go rocky five all right i like it i like it oh well let's make this nice and easy let's stick right there with the one seed versus nine seed in the second round that'd be goodfellas versus rocky five goodfellas oh my god (laughs) yeah you 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 don't really need to say much there yeah it's it's pretty pretty obvious let's go to the other side for the two seed that'd be misery versus jacob's ladder Two interesting horror films, both uh, influential in the genre. I liked Misery more. Uh, I thought okay. it was a tighter okay. story. I thought the characters were better. And it just creeped me out more. So Misery. Fair enough. Fair enough. I'm glad I made it the two seed. Down to the three versus six. Miller's Crossing versus Pacific Heights. 
That's interesting. Um, Miller's Crossing is just fantastic. It's lights out. And Pacific Heights, I haven't seen in a while, but I think with another watch, it could really, I think, wow me. So I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go Miller's Crossing, but I, I am holding out hope for Pacific Heights in the future. Hell yeah. All right, so we got three spots taken in the final four. Let's see what the last one will be. This would be the four-seed Home Alone versus the 12-seed Exorcist 3. Home Alone versus Exorcist 3. You gotta love it. Oh, my God. Home Alone is a a holiday classic. I watch it every year. Uh, Man, Exorcist 3, I adore. Home Alone, I adore as well. What am I going to enjoy watching more? I definitely have to be in the mood for Exorcist 3. Home Alone is funny as hell, but you know what? I like Home Alone 2 more. I'm going to go Exorcist 3. Like it. I like it. The Exorcist 3 makes its way to the final four. All right, just to be clear here, the final four is Goodfellas, Misery, Miller's Crossing, and The Exorcist 3. That sounds about right. <laughs> let's, go, let's, let's go to the, let's go to the uh, right side of the bracket here. So it'll be two seed versus three seed, Misery versus Miller's Crossing. Let's hear what you got to say about that. We've got one of Stephen King's best stories versus one of the Coen brothers' best dramas. Mm-hmm. Oh, Kathy Bates versus Gabriel Byrne. James Caan versus John, John Turturro. And John Turturro and Albert Finney. Yeah. Do I want to give Miller's Crossing the hi-hat or am I going to be a dirty birdie? What is going to happen today? <laughs> <laughs> oh. God damn, that is a tough one to mm. <laughs> boy. Both those films are fantastic watches, and I could really put on either of them at any time. I'm gonna go Miller's Crossing. Ah, nice. I like it. Miller's Crossing makes its way to the championship round. Well done, Misery. Good good showing from you. Now let's go back to Goodfellas versus the Exorcist 3. Again, it's too Goodfellas is too damn good. It's it's Goodfellas. It just doesn't matter, yeah. Which which brings us to the championship round of Goodfellas versus Miller's Crossing. Scorsese versus the Coen brothers. Who would have thought? Before before you say uh, the winner, are these your two favorite movies from 1990? I suppose they are. Apparently. Well, well, well <laughs> I know there's I know there's some that you haven't written a review for. So I was just wondering if there's one maybe that that would have made some noise here in the bracket. Um, because okay, I was kind of seeding them kind of according to how much I like them. Yeah. And, and, and your score, whether you gave it a six, seven, eight, nine, or 10, you know? Yeah, fair enough. Um, and there's a lot of films from the, from 1990 that I have not yet gotten to see like awakenings or, uh, um, oh, yeah. Awakenings is good. The grifters, I believe was 1990. Yeah. I love the grifters wild at heart. I didn't throw wild at heart in here. Ghost. So there's a, there's still a lot of homework to do, but as far as things that I've seen that didn't get on the website, I don't think there's anything that would have made a, an impact here. I think well, in the end, it's all, I think it's always going to be Goodfellas. This is a, yeah, this is a great one too. And you know, yeah, Goodfellas taken at home for the 1990, uh, you know, bracket here that we made. I, I, I like a lot of these films. I, I certainly would, would, have a similar outcome uh my favorite movie is slacker as you know Richard yeah. Linklater's de- debut i love that movie with all my heart 
and that's definitely one of my favorites. Um, what else? I'm trying to think if there's anything else that's random from 1990. Uh, I do like Mo Better Blues a lot. Uh, Home, Home Alone's great. Um, uh, Jacob's Ladder, I'm also due for rewatch myself. Uh, Rocky Five is one of my least favorite for sure of the Rockies, but it's not bad. So yeah, this is this is a fun year, and we're going to continue to do do these kinds of things I as it goes, find, d- depending on the year. What's I up? I did find one that I didn't review that I think might have made an impact here, and it's Kindergarten Cop. Oh, love Kindergarten Cop. Yeah, that movie's hilarious. I don't think it would have won, but would have. I think it would have made it into this into the bunch. Into the yeah, it maybe made it to the second round or something. Yeah, but it was always <laughs> going to be good, fellas, because as far back as I can remember, I've always wanted to be a gangster. <laughs> yes, yes. So, <laughs> you're a funny. You're a funny guy. Yeah. How? How am I funny? What? Am I a clown? Am I here to amuse you? I'm here to fucking amuse you. What is so fucking funny about me? <laughs> oh, Jesus. Yeah. That's a good one, and definitely, I think universally is kind of kind of known as the best American film of 1990. It's just that's just kind of how it is. Yeah, absolutely. That film has a legacy unlike any other, like gangster flick, besides The Godfather. And honestly, I cannot wait to do Goodfellas on Oscar Sunday one day. Like that is going to be a good day. Yeah, it it really is because we get to, you know, for one, talk about Goodfellas and also talk a lot of shit about Dances with Wolves. <laughs> yeah, one of the worst Best Picture winners ever. Yeah, as far as I'm concerned, it's like in the bottom four or five, yeah. Yeah. Interesting bunch you picked. That was a that was a good selection of my 1990 experience. Yeah, I'll definitely do similar stuff like that. Uh, I We'll do a draft again sometime soon where we're both kind of involved. Maybe one day you can make a bracket and I'll vote yeah. on them. We'll, we'll always be coming up with ideas to just kind of finish the show off here, have a little fun, and leave you guys uh, wanting more for next week. So what, what are we doing next week? Next week, we are going current again and diving into a newly released horror flick that got a lot of unwarranted hate, 2020's Antebellum. Yes, which we both already watched, and it's so good. <laughs> it is really good. I don't understand all this hate, and we're going to try to figure out why. Uh, Janelle Monae yeah. plays a successful black woman who finds herself somehow trapped as a slave in the antebellum South, where the overseers are cruel and escape is impossible. What is going on, and how will she find her freedom? We won't tell you yet, but you really should watch this. It's worth the money. Yeah, I agree. It's, it's 20 bucks, right? So, you know, split it with a friend. That's what we did. We went 10 and 10. I watched it and you watched it the next day. We both really liked it. And my girlfriend liked it a lot. We had, we had a blast just kind of talking about the societal questions, right? That yeah. come up after, after you watch a film like this. And, and I, yeah, I highly suggest people go, you know, shell out the money for this one. It's, it's unique. It's, it's new. It's different. And Janelle Monet is like, oh is just a star, you know, she obviously is a huge pop star and, you know, has some wonderful albums and, has been nominated for Grammys and, and this and that, but she's a great actress. And I heard the uh, writers and directors, it's a, a male duo, they're, they're buddies. And they said that they saw Janelle Monet on TV at the Grammys, like, you know, in, in the audience surrounded by a bunch of white people. And they were like, she's just, she's got to play our character. She's got to play Veronica Hamley. You know, she's got this look, this stoic look of, <laughs> of being aware of what's going on, but also being confused at the same time because racism in our society is that fucking weird. 
yeah. and that daunting, that daunting and that, um, that evil. So yeah, it, it's a great one. We, we really hope people watch it and come back with, uh, to listen to us next week. Cause we're going to, we're going to kind of dive into that one, us, uh, you know, spoiler all the way through. We're going to be talking about the plot and the big questions that the movie asks. Absolutely. So tune in next week to find out why this film is so much better than critics are saying. Yes. And until then you can catch in the heat of the night on Oscar Sunday and always check for elderly catatonics crawling on the ceiling. See you next Wednesday. Mm-hmm.